Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is Angel, your host here in Atlas Cast. This is the inaugural episode. With that being said, I really would like to dedicate this episode to the uh, fallen Black Panther, Mr. Uh, Chadwick Boseman. Uh, thank you for being in that movie that, that really inspired the hell out of me. And uh, rest in peace. You know, your, your legacy is, is going to be you know, safe with the people that you inspired. That being said, in front of me, I have a very you know, old friend of mine, and not in age. I've just known him for a really long time. He's, uh, he's known to be quite the professional, and, and that's why I really wanted him on the show, because he can really, really explain you know, the, the details that go on in his daily life, his personal life, and most importantly, his professional life. I have in front of me Matthew Jones, a LAPD officer who's here to talk to us about police reform, about what's, you know, the climate of, of what's going on, and uh, how he feels about you know the riots, Black, li- Black Lives Matter, and things like that. So that being said, introduce yourself, brother. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> My name is Matthew Jones. I've been an LAPD officer for about, uh, coming up on eight and a half years, almost nine. It'll be nine in November. Um, me and Angel actually met back when we were in the military together uh, in the Army National Guard. Uh, I had left the Army completely back in 2017 and kind of just dedicated myself to police work. Um, and so that's where I have been. Most of my focus has been until just recently I decided that maybe it's time for me to go into alternate forms of business. <laughs> he means the private sector for, for those that, you know, if you, if you guys want the green, that's mm-hmm. where it is. Absolutely. And I, I uh, you know, like I said, with everything going on, you never really know what, what next year is going to look like. So I said, you know what? Hey, maybe I should start looking at looking at different using my skills in another way. That's and, and that's perfect. And I'm, I'm glad that, you know, you're, you're able to essentially, you know, observe and, and know the skills that you have and put them in motion. Um, that being said, how do you feel, you know, being a black person, being in the LAPD, how do you feel about, you know, essentially the climate that's going on right now? So I have been an officer since 2011. So you have to think about the the times which we've been through just in the last decade. When we think back to Christopher Dorner, you think back to Michael Brown, you think back to uh, Trayvon Martin and and all the other times where we've gone through um, civil unrest, you know, at, at some points it's more extreme than others. But, you know, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding, misinterpretation, miscommunication that goes on between, you know, the police and helping people understand our job, you know, and what actually what the outcome is. And, and I think as of right now, as far as how I feel, you know, my I'm a little bit of a special case. I could tell you that police officers all throughout the LAPD are just there's a lot of worries, a lot of concern about, you know, is this next radio call going to land me in jail or is this next is this next traffic stop going to you know to the best of my ability I'm going to try to handle it but in the event that a person doesn't want to go with the program you know am I going to just leave it be or you know what like what what exactly does the public want from me you know and so that right there is it's a lot of uncertainty and and honestly I'm a special case in that you know I really think that I'm so good at my job that you know, whatever it is, I can get through it because this is coming from a guy who's stopped over 5,000 people throughout his career. You know, so. Five, wow. I mean, I feel like that's, that's really important and, and your perspective is, is really big on this. You know, I, I, hear, I heard you mention some names and uh, I mean, the, the, obviously the, the biggest one, you know, due to Memorial Day weekend, uh, George Floyd and, and, you know, the whole 846 movement and everything that came after that. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
we, we saw what happened here. Uh, it, it was funny because my executive producer and I took a walk last night and uh, she pointed out that when we were watching it in real time, that was the same Rite Aid that was getting looted by hundreds of people all at the same time. It, it, you know, there was complete chaos. And uh, yesterday, I, you know, while on that walk, I walked up the street and I realized I walked into another solidarity protest. And, and I, I feel like this has been the, the, the climate in most major cities. Um, how, was, how has that affected you as a police officer? Well, we have to think about, uh, you know, restoring order, uh, and, and that's ultimately what, what our goal is. And, uh, but how it feels when, it, when you have all these protests, I'm not necessarily against them. I think that, you know, the First Amendment right is just as important as all the other amendments to the Constitution. Right. People should be, get, be able to get out there and voice their opinions and voice their concerns. Protest is how m many of the changes throughout American history have taken place. You know, people saying, I don't like the way the system is working out for me. Let me get out here on the street and, and put forth my case. And, and honestly, that's where the, when the politicians and the rest of the, the population hears you, that's where your change is going to come from. And, and I support wholeheartedly people, you know, having the ability to get out there and, and voice their concerns and voice their opinions. You know, we work for them. That's, so. I think that's a beautiful mindset for you to have, brother, because Growing up, especially in Northeast Los Angeles, I never felt as if the police force was my friend. You know, um, I always tell the story of, of me being in my army PTs and uh, getting, you know, going on a jog and then essentially getting stopped by the police in front of my mom's hair salon and saying, well, we got a call about a guy who robbed a, uh, a gas station and we saw you jogging. I had a bald head and I was, you know, again, in my army PTs. I felt like that was the wrong call to make because it, it drove my mother outside of her salon to try to their, to try her best to talk to the officers and explain that's that's my son actually, and what they did you know I, I felt uh, in a sense a little bit disrespected I, I don't mean to exaggerate but putting me in the back of a cop car turning the lights on and then driving around the block just to drop me off at home, again I was on a jog in army PTs I I, I felt like that that was you know a, a, a bit excessive in that sense. But I, I could only comprehend the things that other people go through, you know, traffic stops and, you know, getting screwed with a lot. How, how do you feel like, especially you being a cop, do, do you feel like racism is, is systematic or, or it's implemented within the job? I do try to understand um, and forgive me if I try to I do try to understand and forgive me if I try to get away from or get out of answering the question directly because I'm still trying to bolster my own. Right interpretation of it as well when someone says to me systemic racism is are we saying that you know we're the whole purpose of the system is so that it, it's built for a, the oppression of one people over another right and um at face value i'm gonna say no because i've been involved i've been involved with it in all this time and uh there are some intricacies that you know, about the job that even I kind of pick up on at times when it comes to, you know, hey, when you're driving down the street and you're looking at everyone that's going past you, you know, where do you start to say that person looks like, you know, he could be a good stop or that chick looks like she's up to something or, you know, it, it, you kind of, I like to take it back to the police has been going through this constant transformation over the last 20 years. I mean, it, it has not stopped, especially right. with uh, the larger police departments, metropolitan areas where you have such a diverse community. Right. You know, they're trying to figure out, okay, how do we strike this balance? It's easier when everyone in your town is one race, you know, True. everyone in your, in your or, or city, 
right? Where we can say, okay, everyone kind of looks the same. Everyone kind of has the same values. Right. Everyone has the same um, demeanor. Yeah, it's kind of like, okay, well, it's a little bit harder to say, okay, or do, a, do profiling, right? But in these larger metropolitan cities where you have a, such a diverse community, you start to look at, oh, how do we figure out, how do we be proactive about stopping crime? Ooh. You know, and so, and then we have to strike the balance. Like, what are the people, what are the people saying they want? Do they want proactive police or just reactive police? Do you just want us to get out there and, and take your report? Or, or do you want us to actually attempt to prevent crime? Mm. And so striking that whole balance is what we've been trying to figure out over the last five years. And the techniques have varied throughout the United States. But I can only really speak to LAPD and what we've been trying to do. Um We've been trying to use CompStat to, right. to just for you to, uh, if people that don't understand what CompStat is, that we take all of the reports that we receive from victims of crime, whether it be any kind of crime, violent crime, finance crime, and we take descriptions down, right? Male, 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 whether or sex, race, right? That's big, height, weight, you know, clothing worn, tattoos, any, any other kind of. Uh, objective signs and symptoms we use that to you know, we put that in our algorithms and we put plaster it up on the board and then we get an idea or a snapshot who is committing the crimes and mm. unfortunately a, a lot of times that ends up being you know black men you know young black men between the ages of 16 and 25 you know gotcha. uh, or that ends up being young hispanic men and so when you start to look at those crime statistics and you say, okay, so this is what we'll do. In what areas is the crime occurring? What type of crime is it? This is what we'll look for. If that, if that person is in that area at this odd time, now it's time for you to say, okay, let's, let's see what's going on with this person, right? Two o'clock in the morning, you have a, a, you have a, a male black or a male Hispanic, bald head, tattoos, walking right. down the street. It starts to say, okay, well, this. Let's get into this. Okay. Some people will call that racism. Yeah. Systemic racism. <laughs> yeah. And and but to us it's like, well, you know, it just makes sense. We're just trying to be proactive and try to prevent crime. Right. With with you saying that and, and um the word algorithm has been getting thrown around a whole lot for I want to say like the last ten years. And it, it's almost funny how in a sense we're 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 trying to disprove and discredit systemic racism racism, but I hate to say, if you look at, if someone from like maybe the other side were to perceive it that way, well, you're putting my, my information in a box with a bunch of other people. You know, I may look like them, I may sound like them, but I'm not them. You know, what, how, how would you feel like in that sense? Like, dude, I, I think this is, you're, you're profiling me already based on the crime that's, you know, subject to my area. Mm -hmm. And now that I'm going on this jog and, you know, trying to get a burrito at 10 p.m. or whatever it may be, you, you're, you're now putting me in cuffs for, X, Y, and Z reasons, and hate to say it, when 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 you essentially give that type of information away to like maybe a, a a bad apple of a cop, and he plans something on a kid, you know that that goes on damaging that kid's life for you know for forever possibly. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So what do you, like that being said, do you would you feel like you need to make you know those bad cops accountable? Oh yes, I I I think that what I tell people that I get into conversations with about you know when we're dealing with the police. I say, watch out for your civil rights, you know, and honestly, mm. a lot, there's a whole lot of people that really don't have, don't understand the concept, right, of, right. of how an interaction, and that's not of any fault of theirs, it's the fault of our education system that completely, you know, sells short the ability to actually say, hey, this is how, this is the social contract that you sign being born in America, 
you know, so that social contract, this is how you're supposed to act. This yeah. is the law of your area, okay. right? This is how you're supposed to, you know, kind of go along and, and, and fit within a civil society, right? And it's usually the law that dictates who's outside of that civil society versus who's inside. And when people end up on the outside of civil society, you know, they come into contact with law enforcement. Um, a lot of people just don't have this understanding period or what exactly they're supposed to do with um, dealing with a police officer that stops them for whatever reason and say, hey, okay, well, you know, this is, is this a consensual encounter? Is this a uh, detention? Am I detained or am right. I being arrested? Do you have, does he have reasonable suspicion? Right. Am I asking him about that a little bit too much? And and then on the police officer side, is the police officer having enough patience to say, mm. hey, you know, maybe, well, this is why I'm stopping you. Right. Or, or it's it, we, we have a little thing in the police force. We, you know, we, we call a contempt of cop. Right. And so usually there's you know, a lot of officers really elevate these scenarios that shouldn't be elevated because you don't have the patience. So to take your question back to accountability, you know, I think that those officers, you know, absolutely should be held accountable. I think that when you violate somebody's civil rights, it doesn't matter if that person is white. It doesn't matter if that person is black or, 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 or Hispanic. You know, we you know, the system is set up so that everyone is treated equally. The outcome, right, right, is 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 disparate, and I think, and that's where I come into trouble when I when people say systemic racism because the system doesn't say one way or another, but the law gives people the ability to show discretion. It gives right. people the ability to kind of dictate their own actions, and that and that's where the disparate outcome comes in, and so that's why I kind of have trouble with. Right. systemic racism gotcha you know, is it systemic because you you give these law enforcement officers freedom of choice of of, of discretion right? right you know and some sometimes it works out for people and a lot of times it doesn't unfortunately right and so uh, that's why i don't think that you know it's systemic it, it just doesn't sit well with me and and i i, I really you know want to touch on something you just said was was the whole de-escalation of it all you know uh, working in retail and then you know being part of management that's you're not taught that, but you know that that's what gets you the results. You know how to calm someone down and essentially essentially speak to them, get to know their needs, wants, whatever it is that you know they might want to hear. Um, and, and and again, I'm I'm not attacking any group or anyone, but you know, Breonna Taylor didn't have a voice for that, you know, and and um, that that's 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 a very big one because again, I consider her boyfriend, you know, damn near a patriot. Some dude's trying to break down your door, you know, you you start busting down the stairs and you hit one of them, but now you're 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 being charged with what attempted murder, and meanwhile Brianna was upstairs bleeding to death for what twenty minutes before any you know any medical evacuation was called. Um, I was always I was always taught that police are first responders. You know, first and foremost, I, I believe in those situations. Should you call you know for for medical evacuation, or you know you 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 hear or you see someone bleeding and you know unresponsive, I, I feel like you should probably call that in. But I think the grotesque part of it all was again no knock warrant very little information. And from what it sounded like, they had the wrong house. So do you feel like that police department at least should be held accountable or, or what, you know, what reform should take place in order for that not to happen ever again? So there's a couple of things that uh, come with the Breonna Taylor case based off of my uh, receiving of the information. Uh, it was the right house. And I don't know how deep you want me to go into this thing, but uh, as, as deep as you, know. you feel like we need it, because again, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm only going based off, I hate to say it, but 
a little bit of what the news says. I know that most of the times that they've been wrong, uh, you know, just my own research online and stuff like that. It, it's been a political, I mean, well, not well, yeah, it's been a political outcry. And I hate to say, it, but the research that I've essentially done was Breonna Taylor was murdered in the, in the name of gentrification, in the name of re-escaping re, and, 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 you know, renewing that part of the city, you know, with, with people. I get it. It happened to Highland Park. You know, it happened to Lincoln Heights. It happened to, to Echo Park. And seeing it again, like, yo, if, if, if one of my best friends or if I was murdered in my own bed in the name of gentrification, I would expect you to burn that part of the city down. I, like, I'm not okay with that. But I, I hate to say it, bro, like Stephen Crowder, me changed my mind because I'm, I'm not seeing any, any, anything being done. You know? mm -hmm. So as far as the officers not being arrested in that case? Well, you know? I mean, I, 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 I mean, I would comprehend, like, I get it. You know, you guys don't necessarily get off scot-free, but uh, it, it, it's almost like direct immunity. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't like. I'm still yet convinced to 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 even call it a a, a good you know a good call or you know for, for on behalf of these cops. I'm not seeing it as as good on behalf of the other side. Okay, so uh, I am going to kind of speak to this incident on behalf of a libertarian because that's what I am, and then I'm also going to shots fired <laughs> address yeah address it as a uh, a Second Amendment advocate. Um, but here's the thing. Let's let's look at the totality of the circumstances of what happened to the Breonna Taylor case. I've watched the Vice uh, News article that right. you kind of posted that day, and I kind of saw that, oh, what the mayor was doing was he was kind of focusing on a myriad of different houses that were that received a whole lot of complaints for, for this, that, and the other, or the, you know, whether or not the, the property value of the area, he was going to try to artificially raise the property value of an area right. by targeting specific houses that are that were known for for trouble in an area and, and i thought wow that's that's really odd that's you know i don't think that that's necessarily the government's role the government shouldn't be be thinking about stuff like that that's not your job your job is public safety your job is you know up, upholding the social contract and, and creating and upholding it right so making sure that everyone has equal opportunity that is the job of the government you know, you don't need to be trying to. It's a totally political move what he was doing, targeting these these houses and try to artificially. You leave that up to the free market, right? So that's, so that's my that's my libertarian spiel. <laughs> uh, as far as the actual um, investigation itself, right? So you have these officers that are assigned to this specific unit to target these homes, these trouble homes, right? right? Whether they're trap houses or what have you, trap houses for the people on. That's where the Migos live. <laughs> yeah, where, where people sell drugs and do drugs inside, right? Right. Um, so these houses, apparently Brianna Taylor was, yeah, was involved in with a few other guys that were actually arrested at that time. And that was one of the houses that uh, they were using to, to move narcotics through. And was, so, was she directly involved? or Yes. Oh, I had... Oh. Oh yeah, no. She she was uh, oh, she was definitely no. yeah, unless unless um there's a little bit of confusion in some of the reports. God, the, I the, hope the, the report is out. But I hope that's wrong. <laughs> Brianna Taylor had yeah. some associates that were that were involved in that, and that was a home that they were using to 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 move the narcotics. I have no idea. You know, and I'm I'm also gonna say I'm not gonna. This is unverified information, uh, or if it is it if it is verified, I haven't verified it myself. But just to put it out there, um, there was also some. She didn't. Well, she wasn't an MT since 2017. Uh -huh. So that's another thing that 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 the investigation revealed, uh, which kind of paints a little bit more of the okay. So what exactly was happening inside the home? Right. Uh, but let's talk about the search warrant itself. This when you when you talk about uh, I've I've worked 
gangs for uh, a full tour, which is three years within the LAPD. And we do a lot of search warrants. Okay. So uh, and when we're dealing with these search warrants, usually um, as gang officers, we're looking for guns, drugs, money. Right. right and right. so, and we work hand in hand with narcotics. Uh, most narcotics warrants where you believe that there is evidence inside the location that's going to be ditched, right? We ask for no-knock warrants, right? So because, and, and that's specifically for the sake of getting the drop um, on them, getting a drop on somebody, right. and not not allowing them the opportunity to 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 dump narcotics, right? right? So although you know the the other people that were involved that didn't live there that were involved were arrested already, taken into custody. They're still looking for narcotics, and that's why the the warrant was granted on that specific location. It's a mm. trap house. You know, if you think that if you think that there's narcotics inside the location, you know, if you have a fair probability, whether they did surveillance, right? Surveillance if they're watching the house and they're right. seeing uh, foot traffic or pet traffic going in and out gotcha. from all kinds of different types of people, right? That is indicative of a narcotics house, a trap house, a trap house. right? And so we can we for search warrants to be granted to peace officers, we need fair probability, not probable cause. And that's a that's something that a lot of people don't understand either. Is it, we we just have to if there is a fair probability that the evidence or the people that we're looking for is inside of a location, a judge can grant the order for us to go serve at that location. That's what a search warrant is for, gotcha. right? Based off of these specific facts that I'm giving, right? There's a fair probability that there's drugs in that house, right? And so um, they were granted the no knock search warrant. Right to go right. into that house and look for the narcotics that were a part of the a part of the ring, and Brianna Taylor lives there. Her her and her her, her man. Right. So when they actually there, the statements from the police officers are saying that they actually did make notice, right? Because we call that knock and notice, right? When whenever we right. serve a search warrant, we surround the house, especially if we're looking for people, right? And it's going to be very difficult for you to flush guns. That that was my thing. We look for guns, right. guns that you're not supposed to have. And so when we, we give that, uh, you don't have to give the knock and notice. You don't have to give them enough time to open the, come and open the door, right? The officers blow through that door, right? right? Um, and they start taking fire. Damn. There was one officer that, you know, decided to return fire, but he wasn't sure of his target, right? right. If he's firing towards the, the gunfire, you know, then those rounds are going to go towards that bedroom and they're going right. to go through, they don't have a name on them. They're just going to, they're just going that direction in order to stop the fire. Um, now I don't know the actual layout of, of how the, the scene went, right. The officer that actually got fired. Cause they said that that was unprofessional what he was doing. I don't know where his positioning was when he was firing into the bedroom. It, it sounded like they were at like the bottom of a staircase from like the reports that I've heard over, like time and time again, it, they were shooting downward from a, from a staircase and, I again, I, since I'm not a cop, I, I don't know whichever way to approach it. But like again, what you're taught, like in, in eleven Bravo school, you you see a muzzle flash, you're you're returning you're fire. Gonna, you're gonna it's suppressive fire. You're and, gonna and, fire and, back towards the the actual, right yeah and, and fire superiority fire. and mm -hmm. and that's how you essentially you know win a firefight. You know, mm -hmm. so it, 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 that being said, I mean, was that the right call to make? No, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, because you have to remember. Um, and we're pro this is probably going to be a, a recurring theme in our conversation is that not all police departments are trained the same. They're not right. their tactics are different. Right. right. So, something that a police officer in Wisconsin will do 
I'd be like, oh, that's terrible tactics. That he, He's just putting himself in danger. He's putting others in danger right. with what he's doing. But that's how they train right. versus me being an LAPD officer. We train this way. I think that this is the best way, and it's time-tested, right? Yeah. And all the search warrants that I have done, I've never had to resort to you know, firing from outside of the, or doing some kind of wazoo tactics, right. you know, unless I, unless we train in it over and over and over, just like battle drills. Right. And so in that event, and during our search warrants, we're not supposed to fire from outside to inside of a home, right? From the outside, because you can't see, right? You could, you could get cover, right? That's, that's what the department says that they want us to do, right? If you're inside the house and you take fire, then yes, return fire because you have a better vantage point as to what's actually happening. Right. From the outside, you, you just hear gunfire, right? And so what are you firing at? Exactly. Are you, you know, how can you be sure of your target if you're on the outside of the room, right? Or outside right. of the house. And so they say, hey, if, if for the guys out on the perimeter, right, on the outside, in the event that you hear gunfire, sit tight, right? We'll, you know, put it out, and wait. Gotcha. The people on the inside are responsible for taking care of the threat. Right. And so that's why I believe that that officer was, was, was fired ultimately because, you know, it's, you know it's, they, they say it's gross, but if they've never dealt with that situation before, they couldn't train their officers to properly handle the situation, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah, and, and I think uh, to, to, to give a general perspective, I have, I have a, a very hard time just processing a lot of the stuff that I saw on TV because, again, I, I don't have anything, you know, that, that would be able to apply to anything like that outside of, a, you know, infantry training. So when I see a dude with an M4 walk up to an armored vehicle, I'm like, how do you not get popped then and there? You, like, that's, that's a sh- to, to me, at least, that's a sign of aggression. You shouldn't even be walking up to people like that, but then, you know, you're firing upon private citizens. Um, that being said, you know, and, 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 I'm, and I'm glad that, you know, you, you keep bringing these topics up, but, you know, in the case of George Floyd, you know, was, was the call to Derek Chauvin completely, was that a right move, you know? No, not at all. And so, uh, and, and I kind of, I would speak to that too. I would speak to the training aspect. So just mind, mind you throughout our conversation that, right. you know, the, the training aspect is huge, Yeah. right? We, if your department, your department is responsible for getting you to understand exactly how you're supposed to deal with this situation, that situation, the other situation, it's a, it are the job of command and control, right? Is right. so that somebody in the back kind of looks at the situation, you know, left, right, and kind of takes it all in. Because the person that's in it, in the fight, he, he's not really looking at everything. He doesn't really know what, what the, the totality of circumstances right. is because he's just focused on this one thing. And this other officer is focused on this one thing. And this other officer, same thing. So if this officer is on, you know, crowd control and this officer is on the legs, this officer is on his back, right. right? There needs to be another officer that has his hands free to kind of just look at everything that's happening and then make judgment calls. Right. I, right? I, I feel like the person that, that was essentially doing that, I forget his name, I think his name was like Tu Tao. Uh, he's like a, a Cambodian or, mm-hmm. or Vietnamese yeah. dude. Yeah, he, he was on crowd control. Yeah, right. But the best, he, the best position for him to have been doing, because that crowd was just standing there. Right. Right. They, they, didn't, they didn't jump off the curb and start to, you know, they didn't give you cause to just focus on them. Right. So take a step back right. and understand what's happening over here on the ground too listen to what the crowd is actually saying. It'll right. give you a better idea of like, okay, what's the best thing to do in this situation, right? So I have that, that control hold that Derek Chauvin was using on, on him was 
uh, it is authorized, right? It is one of the ways that we use the right. ground as a controlling agent, right? right? No longer, right? But that is when, uh, no, we still use it. Uh, yeah. uh, it's, it's still one of those things that okay. uh, we weren't, you know, intentionally asphyxiating somebody. You're supposed to be on like the shoulder, the or, shoulder blade, like, or maybe, yeah. or maybe the low, the small of the back, right? right. Place, places like that Never where you're neck. actually immobilizing. He was actually on the, on the actual sternum, right. the, or the, uh, the spine right. up, up top, right? And whether or not, you know that is that is that's how they train. I don't know because I'm not a I'm not a police officer for Minneapolis right, PD. So right, right. so I, I I'm like okay, well, the best practices is what what I have to return to. You know when evaluating what an officer across the United States does. Right. But for me, you know, as a LAPD officer, we have the recovery position. You know, if the person <laughs> is if the person is on the ground, right, so, you yeah. you're only gonna be on top of him like that right. until he kind of. Gives, you get him in cuffs and you get a hobble on his legs. As soon as he's hobbled up and cuffed up, you roll him on his sides to free up his diaphragm. Right. The point okay. of that is to keep the, if the person is having trouble breathing, right, free up the diaphragm, get them breathing again, call an RA, RA being an ambulance, right? right. Call the ambulance to the scene. And if he is, I mean, you're, you're, if you're looking at him, any, any police officer that's been at it for a while knows that um, the way that you evaluate the way the person that you're dealing with is acting. Right. And then right. you go, oh, that looks like a drug overdose. That looks like um, mental illness. Right. That looks like, and, and you kind of, it's always evolving in your head. You're always assessing, mm -hmm. always, you know, that's, that's what a good officer does. Continuously assess. And it kind of looked like uh, Derek kind of got himself caught up in a, in a mental loop where he's like, I just got to stay here. I just got to stay here. And he didn't really know what he was going to do. Right. Right. And uh, whether that was whether there was malicious intent in what he was doing or not. Right. You know, I, I would have to me as an investigator. Right. Because I've, I've spent some time in investigations. I'd have to help him paint his intent to me. Right. I would right. actually have to talk to him like, OK, what exact what were you thinking here or what were you thinking there? You know, what 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 was this action supposed to accomplish? Right. right. And I would have him articulate the whole thing to me. And then then I would be able to better make a judgment on there's malicious intent here. Right. So to some people, like, oh, yeah, it's, it's common sense. Eight minutes and 46 seconds, that's absolutely outlandish. You right. know? No one should do that. It, he only did that for the purposes of killing someone. Well, I don't know. I don't I understand if that's absolutely true because I understand how humans work and the, and the brain works in right. that type of scenario. Yeah, all your all your fine motor functions going to hell, and you you in order for you to mitigate that, you resort to your training. Exactly. So yeah, yeah and so it when that happens, like in this scenario, what has the Minneapolis Police Department trained its officers to do in the event that you have a what, what was actually happening is that he's having a fentanyl overdose, right? And so if if you if you have a person that's overdosing on something and they're not cooperating with your investigation, you know, as soon as you get handcuffs on them, right? You have to be trying to get that person to calm down, right? You have to continuously communicate. You right. have to get the you have to get them to stay alive until the RA gets the the the, the EMTs get there. Right. And what the EMTs do is they shoot them up with uh, uh, epipens or a, a, a sedative. It's it's a sedative Ketamine. that they use. At, uh, I'm not sure. I, I would have to that, ask a fire department. Okay. What is that you're actually shooting them up with? I, but they use that to get the get the the heart. To relax and get the body and the I physiology. I think that's ketamine. It may be ketamine, right? But it works like a charm. I, like, let, let me tell you, it's amazing, right? Because a lot of times we have uh, 
probably on a daily basis, you're going to deal with a, a call of mental health issue, uh, right. somebody with a mental health crisis right. who's either a danger to themselves, a danger to others, or uh, right. gravely disabled, right? right? And in the event that you have to put them on hold, right, and they're wigging out, you have to get get control of that person. But sometimes what looks like mental health is actually an overdose. And what's actually an overdose looks like a mental health crisis. Gotcha. So the more experienced an officer is, the better he's able to identify, oh, I see what's going on here. Right. Right. Oh, and, and we need to get this person in custody so we can get them to the hospital. Right. Or we need to get this person in custody so we can get them down. Right. Because right. they're on the upswing. We got to get them down. Right. And so that's ultimately we deal with it every day. You know, this stuff right. is happening all the time to, you know, less to people's actually understanding of policing in America. You know, people are saying cops shouldn't have to do this or cops shouldn't have to do that. We've been doing it for over over a decade. Right. You know, and we've been successful at it for, right. for some time. And, and I, I, one of the things, actually, the, the, the biggest takeaway that I took away from, like, the whole George Floyd thing, and I feel like it's because, uh, again, we were in the military together, uh, you had, uh, I forget his, his name, but it was, like, his third day on the job, and at that point, he was already trying to, you know, check Officer uh, uh, Derek Chauvin, Chauvin. Um, you know, hey, hey there, boss, you know, you, you've been on him for some time, you know, resort to your training, and how you said, like, he put himself in that psychological loop. I think that was actually one of the things that he was trying to call him out for. Mm-hmm. You know, um, why why do you think that was was rather ineffective of like essentially getting? Because I I'll tell you exactly why. why? Yeah, and, and, <laughs> and, and because a lot of uh, a lot of cops, and unfortunately, one one trait that makes a good officer is the ability to put yourself aside. Right. Right. And and if you don't have that capability, right, then you're not going to, you're going to get yourself in trouble sooner rather than later. Right. And, you know, that's what it kind of looked like there. It's like, this is my trainee and he's telling me this or that. Nah, this is how we, nah, this is how we We saw it it in the army. I got this. Right. You see it in the army. It's kind of like a, it's kind of like a prideful kind of man, like a, you know, a macho sort of thing. And honestly, it's, it's, it actually ended up working to his detriment. It ended up working to the detriment of the, the, so he's, uh, of um, his victim, um, George Floyd. And so in that event, you know, if I were there, you know, I would have just walked up to him and, hey, sir, this is what we're going to do. But like I said, there's a there's a whole other things that go with that. Right. right. This is my trainee. Am I going to go up there and grab my training? Exactly. And, you know, and when I do, I not know what I'm doing or do you, you second right. guess yourself and and you end up not doing the right thing. You right. Know, a lot of other a lot of other people think, no, this is the right thing. This is what we're supposed to do. It's just not that easy. Humans don't work that way. And and I mean, just just. Briefly touching on that, you saw what happened with Chris Dorner, you know. Mm-hmm. A- again, I, I know that's that's a that's somewhat of a touchy topic for for everyone. And Not for me, it didn't. <laughs> and the fact that we're you know we're we're from LA and we're 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 a part of this, and he's a veteran, a former cop. Do you feel like him taking actions into his own hands was like the response to that? Because from what it sounded like, it was he was in that young officer's position, and when he was essentially lied about and kicked off the force. He just said, "Well, fuck it. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna take matters into my own hands." And unfortunately, he 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 you know wrote about it and just started offing people that weren't some some people that weren't even really involved in the police force. And in the midst of all that, what two two little old Mexican ladies got shot while delivering newspapers and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, we were all like I said, I was on it during that time. It was a very very scary time. <laughs> I, I I remember I remember getting off the ten freeway around that time about two in the morning, coming home from like you know going drinking and stuff like that, and just. Just, just pulling up to a red light going, fuck, I hope there's not a cop behind me that thinks I'm just this crazy dude. Because I, I could only imagine, I could only imagine what, what police officers felt feeling that they were hunted in their own city. 
by by an essential trained killer who was not afraid to pull triggers on people. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like oh, it's terrifying. I, I could only imagine. Man. But you know, at that time, I would also say that I challenged the narrative because I always I'm, I'm a little bit of people people don't like me a lot. <laughs> You know, because I'm a contrarian. Like, yeah. for, for me, they don't like for you to be objective in all senses of life, right? right. But me, I can't help it. I, I have to know all the facts before I say, all right, yeah, that's, you know, that's wrong. That's a me, good way to live. I, I go, I go, I dig everything. I look for all the facts that are available right. at the time. And even when, even when you tell me they're all the facts, I'm like, well, what about this? Or did, did you right. guys look into that? Right? And honestly, that's what makes you a good investigator. So for me, during Christopher Dorner's deal, I'm like, okay, he's saying that this is what happened between him and his training officer and a person dealing person that was dealing with mental illness, right? I know how heavy-handed the LAPD is. The LAPD is very heavy-handed against his, uh, I wouldn't say against its officers, but towards its officers, right? I mean, when the when the LAPD gets a gets a uh, a little hint of oh your officers are doing wrong, right? We we, we have a reputation. Right. Rampart scandal. Freaking all kinds of I mean, that's one of the big things that got us put in under biggie. consent decree. All of it. Right. Tupac and Biggie. Right? right. So LAPD has transformed itself and it's still continuously trying to transform itself. So that way, you know, when these incidences where cops are, are being renegades or, or rogues. Right. You know, you're out of here. You know, or you're, you're going home or you're you know, and, and a lot of times for that incident. I look at, okay, well, what happened to the training officer? What was the allegation, right? right. And we have to document everything, right? right? Everything right. has to be documented. So where's the documentation on Chris Dorner? What does it say? Mm. What lies were being told, mm-hmm. right? I, I, I don't know enough about that. that. That information wasn't put out into the media, right? So, and I, that information is surely closed off to us on the department. If right. they, you know, we'll be, internal affairs will come looking for us if we're, if we're using department resources to try to investigate or look into something that was especially a big case like that. Right. You know, there are officers getting in trouble after Nipsey Hussle died. You know, looking up what? Yeah, you, get, you know, for for looking up his uh his his file. Right? I would have I would have been one of those officers. I'm not. Yeah, and, and and the department was like, uh oh, uh uh-uh. uh. What what reason did you have looking up that file? Oh no, uh, days. You know, or or uh, you're getting uh you're getting benched or what have you, right? Right. So so actually, now, now that you bring that up, I I would actually like to know how it is that you guys are held accountable and like disciplined when you guys have like either your 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 minor little screw ups, whatever it may be, and. Of course, to 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 the how to the, the LAPD level. does discipline. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, well, the LAPD, for the most part, we are uh, document document. We're, we're historians in our own right, right? That's crazy. We, we we everything has to be documented, and um, for the most part, let's say that you have a problem with how some officers treated you during a traffic stop, right? Mm. So you LAPD says, no matter what the complaint. Right. And in very few circumstances where they go, all right, yeah, that's not really we're not going to take that complaint. Right. right. Like if, say, for instance, you get a traffic ticket. Right. And you want to complain that you got a traffic ticket for something. Right. We're not going to take that complaint. <laughs> but in the event that you do, you were the officers discourteous to you or whatever it is. Right. right. Conduct unbecoming of an officer. Tell us about it. Right. right. And and they we supervisor, if they show up and they and they get a complaint from you, they have to take every single complaint. Document it, and then that complaint has to go up the chain and has to be investigated, you know, in its own right, right? Mm. Think about me, right? Look at me. I have over eight complaints in my package, right? All of them unfounded. But 
people, but all of them have been investigated. It takes the LAPD about a good year to clear a complaint off an, off an really? officer, if not longer, right? You know, so um, I'll give you a perfect example. Uh, back when I was working in uh, downtown LA, mm. right? When I was working downtown and there was uh, there was some people that came out into the street. It was like, like one, one to two in the morning, right? People ran out into the street while we we're, were like, hey, they're going to kill them, right? right? So we jump out and we're like, hey, what's going on, right? And they point us to a parking lot where there's a big crowd gathering. So we, so we run over to the crowd and, and we kind of get a look and we see some people fighting, right? And so we, we tell everybody to break it up and we get everybody up, all the people that were fighting up against the wall and out emerges from the crowd a guy who had multiple stab wounds all over his body, right? He, I mean, he was, he was open, right? right? Blood all over his shirt and everything. But he was walking and he said, hey, I got stabbed. That guy stabbed me. And so we were able to, we were able to get him over to our car and we put out a backup and, and a bunch of our units showed up to where you know, we started to get control, gain control of the situation right we got an ambulance there uh quick enough to where they were able to get some direct pressure going and uh get him to the hospital and the person that was actually the suspect was in that kind of fight he had a knife on him and so we took him into custody we took everybody that was surrounding him into custody just to get an idea and everybody was like it was that guy Right, so everybody, everyone's statements matched up. The right? homies so flipped on him real quick, huh? <laughs> like, I don't know if they were his homies or not, but he was he was absolutely ripped out of his mind. The dude, the dude blew a a two point two. Oh, so the homie like, was drunk. No, he was he was lit, yeah, right? And yeah. it turns out that uh, it turns out that he was just leaving work. You know, he 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 worked at a bar, but he he went out partying and and got super sauced and had a knife on him and he had he had a verbal a verbal altercation with somebody a verbal dispute with somebody else and you know he's like you know what stabbed him up right wow so in that event uh we we ended up booking him on uh on on adw and uh after we get finished taking him and processing him we 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 got the knife and everything um, my supervisor comes back into the report writing room while I'm while I'm writing the report, and he says, "Hey, so you got a complaint against you uh, by that guy, you know, who said that you threw him to the ground and called him a a, a racial slur?" And I'm like, "Huh? No, I didn't. No, I, I didn't call him right. a racial slur. I, no, I, everything was. You know, he he was completely compliant, and you know, I, he never even hit the ground. I I don't know what he's talking about. Right? He's like, yeah, well." Too bad. We're gonna have to go ahead and uh, take it the rest of the. You know, so you go ahead and get yourself a rep representative, and and we'll do that. Your interview uh, in a little bit. Right. You know, and I was under IA investigation for that for about a year and a half. For a year and before a I was half. cleared of that incident, right? And because out of all those people there, right, right, that actually saw me take this guy into custody, right, all of those people were, uh, you know, willing to say, oh yeah, that officer that that didn't happen, you know, that he he just put him in handcuffs and took him and put him in the car, and that was it. Right. Wow. But this is the department that LAPD has turned into because of everything that we've been through. Right. right. So yeah. any allegation against its officers, we have to take seriously. Gosh. Right. We have to take seriously. We don't want to go backwards. We have to keep going forwards. And so honestly, do I dislike that that happened? Um, sure. But it, it's because it's, it's an inconvenience. Right. It's, right. You know, especially when you, when you you're being under investigation and being watched by IA, you know, for how you act and all your stops are being reviewed, you know, at that time. But is that what we need in order to gain accountability? Right. Because the officers, let's say that I did do that. Right. right. And internal affairs would have found that information. Right. right. 
then that would have been yeah, that would have been my job. And honestly, that's and, and I think that's a good thing. I think that's one great step that we use to get towards accountability, even though a lot of people lie on us. Yeah, like I said I have I have eight complaints and the way I'm talking to you is how I talk to everybody else. I, I wish more police officers really did have that mentality. I, I get, you know, the lack of patience that comes with being a human and, you know, having to talk to knuckleheads that are yelling back at you. Sure. But I feel like... Oh, again, I've been called every name in the book, baby. I, I can... Um, oh, I, absolutely. You being a black man out of all mm-hmm. things, because I remember... Yeah, I, the words fly. I, it's, it's not even just that. I, I mm-hmm. To be honest, I don't, like, again, being in your position, I don't think that would have been, you know, had anyone called me like a, you know, a chink or, or a wetback or whatever... I don't think it would have affected me so much, but like there was this one video in particular where it was in Skid Row and it was after there was a tussle with this police officer and a homeless man and the, the police officer, they shot him. I think he, he shot him and then they, they essentially started like a, like a human barricade across the, like uh, in front of the scene and the, 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 the young black officer that was, you know, I think, I believe shot him uh, was being yelled at like, you know, that that's your own people. You're, you're trading in your own people for a badge. At any point of, of your career, have you felt that? Trading in among people? No, no. I felt it even less so when I policed a black neighborhood. Where, uh, just, just, just to make it clear, where, where are you from in LA? Watts. Watts specifically, right? Mm-hmm. Damn. Mm-hmm. That, I hate to say it, but like uh, growing up in East LA, I, I didn't really grow up around that many black people. Mm-hmm. But, you know, mm-hmm. based on me, again, being from LA, you knew where they were. And, you know, Watts, Compton, Inglewood, and those areas represented like, uh, essentially almost damn near black imperialism in, 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 in the city, you know, that that's where your kingdom stood, you know, mm-hmm. as far as you know, black, black communities and stuff like that. And you coming out of that and essentially, you know, don't feel like you're, 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 you're trading in your own people for the, for, for the badging oh, gun that you, that you want to serve and, you know, and stuff like that. I, I think it's, it's really important because taking a step outside of your own comfortable norm, it, it establishes, you know, the, the, the foundation of good and right a lot wider you know, I know what's right and I know what's wrong. And based off people that have been my color and raised me, you know, you guys told me that this was okay when it's obviously not. You know, I, I think that's really important. Um, how do you feel as, like, you know, how, how did you feel throughout the riots when all this stuff started to crack down here in L.A.? Um, let's see here. We're talking about George Floyd or are we talking about? We're, we're, uh, we're talking about George Floyd. George Floyd. Okay. Well, so when all the riots were going down, specifically uh, Black Lives Matter, uh, here's the thing. I'm still one of those guys that, oh, okay, well, where's all the info? They happened. Like I said, I, I love it when we want to get out there and we want to voice our opinion, and, and but we have to be less emotional. The more emotional that we are, the more it can be used against us right. as a people. And the more our message gets shrouded in, in our violence. And honestly, when that starts to happen, you're, you, you take yourself right back to square one. Right. Because... People got killed in those riots. Yeah, you know, people were, you know, businesses were were destroyed. This yep. is this is something that families have been, you know, trying to put together for the last half century. Yeah. you know, and you're going to take that from that family because of something that happened in half the United States away. And when you look at the numbers, it, it you're being sold a narrative that's factually inaccurate, right? And so that's that's why I say, okay, yeah, go ahead and protest. But you have to be willing to understand, and there's not enough understanding. There's not enough wisdom out right. there, and 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 without that wisdom, your your voice will fall flat every single time. And right. you know, and if you work yourself up to you know this this violence that is that has occurred, you know that like I said, you're, you're 
there's really it really gets to be a no point. You so know? the all the corporations out there, oh, they love it. You know, they're right. they're, gonna, they're gonna have all these Black Lives Matter this. Yeah. And they're gonna have all these posters there. The NBA, the NFL, people taking knees and all that. But what does all that mean to me, the police officer? Mm. You know, the what, black what, police officer, because your life matters in black, all this. Or the, or the black police officer. I've had people. I've had people tell me that my life didn't matter. What? You know, while I was out there on that line. Then that right? immediately cancels out their message. Exactly. Especially in the in, in, in you know in in the verbiage of it all. Black lives matter. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting in front of a black man that was told that his life didn't matter because he wore the badge. Wore uniform. Exactly. Uh, because the way she explained it, she she said. My life doesn't matter no matter what my color because I'm putting into a system that oppresses black people, right? And she was uh, a little Asian, a little Asian lady. She had a UCLA, uh, UCLA t-shirt on. That was probably, that was probably <laughs> me in woman form, my boy, because that sounds like me. <laughs> you know, and, and, and you know what? She was very, she was very specific to walk right up to me. You. So she, she, she had, a, she had a, a thing. She had a narc on, on her chest. She definitely wanted to get it out. And I was only one of maybe three officers, three black officers that were on that line. So she probably said it to the other officers as well, but I don't really know. Right. Um. But for me, it's like, I'm willing to have this conversation with you, but you can't start it out with condemning my life. Yeah. You know, like, and that, and that's the way officers are kind of, kind of feeling right now. It's like, okay, well, if our lives don't matter either, when there's a lot of us out there that are trying to police in good faith and make the city better. Right. You know, there are a lot of us, right? There right. there are over 800,000 police officers in the country, in right. a country of 328 million, right? You have to look at like how we feel, right? We feel like a targeted group because of one of us, right? Or a, a multitude of us, right? Don't really know how to respect people, right? And they right. they're not policing with a value system. And and I understand. And that's what makes me say, well, Absolutely. I think that we should go after that officer, too, when that officer. Right. Because that officer made a terrible decision. Right. That officer is the one that shouldn't be out here in the streets. Right. right. He needs to find another line of work because he's making my job way harder than it needs to be. You know, I pull over somebody and the first thing they say is, hey, please don't kill me. That, yeah. You know, and I'm like. Well, you have a, t- you have a, you, you, where's your license plate? You know, you're supposed to put it on your car. And a lot of times when that happens, right, I, it's this, that's how I kind of approach the situation, right. right? Oh, yeah, I get it. You know, you probably weren't, you probably were saying that in good faith. Or you probably were saying that just to, just to, yeah, some of them are saying it just to, you know, right. mess with me, right? right? But it's, you know, I, I got, I'm here and I still have a job to do, right? I'm, I'm very fortunate to like hear this coming, coming out of like, I, I get that you're my friend and we were in the military together, but like it, it, it makes me feel a lot more comfortable hearing this from an actual cop's voice. Mm-hmm. You know, someone that's, that's been on the force for almost 10 years and, and whatnot. And I, I have a two-year-old, you know, and this is why I, I started the show is because essentially what you're going through and the police reform that I guess the government is trying to implement around your career is what's going to affect his later future. You know, how... I would still want my son to be respectful towards police officers, no matter what kind of stop it is. Cause you can, again, from what you're saying is that you can, you can act, you know, you can essentially uh, request an investigation on your behalf to, 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 to really look into it. And the fact that you had to go through an, a year and a half of scrutiny, well, I wouldn't, I, I don't know what you hundred percent went through and had right. to still do your job at the best of your ability, being who you are, you know, conducting yourself as a professional, it, it at least know like I, that makes me feel like well you know some some BS cop planted coke in my back pocket and then you know put it on the police report 
I can still look into that. You know, have have body cams really affected your job? No. <laughs> honestly, I, I love the body cameras, bro, because first honestly, cop I've ever heard say that, by the uh, way. You know what? Most of them, most of them probably feel that way. Uh, it's, you know, in the back of their minds, because all of us are going to get I mean, the body cameras have been just wonderful in exonerating us from a lot of the complaints that people make. Right. Right. You know, when, when people kind of tell you that to, or tell your supervisor that, hey, it went down this, 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 this way. Right. But then they look at the body camera and it actually went down this, 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 this way. Right. And then it's like, OK, well, they can exonerate us a lot faster. Back when that um, occurrence took place that I told you about earlier, mm-hmm. um, I was under for that year and a half because we didn't have body. Cams. We didn't have body cams or digital and car video. Wow. So there was no other documentation besides what I put down on paper that day and what the supervisors went out and asked the people who were there, the witnesses, what happened. Right. So it kind of is a, it gives you that first person perspective. In order for you to say, oh, okay, this is what actually happened. All right, this this was a BS complaint. This is, he just yeah. he just complained because he got arrested and he didn't want to be arrested that night. And and I'm glad that you explained that to me because I guess the, the the public perception of it is like, well, they got those cameras on to protect you. You know, like, oh well, if they do anything, they cross the line. It's on their camera. But now mm-hmm. that I'm seeing it through your point of view, it's like these guys get messed with a thousand times a day. If anything, you know, oh well, I'm, I'm sorry, off, uh, this officer. Uh, you know, called me, called me a chink during my traffic stop. Mm-hmm. Well, let, let's review the tape. And, you know, now, review now, the we're, tape. exactly. Absolutely. Now we're seeing and you that. And you can hear, you can hear our voice crystal clear, or how, right. we, how we address people and, and, and everything is being picked up. And a lot of times they have their phone out and they got it like that while they're talking to you. Yeah. Right. I mean, that, that, that is something that it's always happening. Right. right. Like I said, I, I stop over 5,000 people throughout my career. So, you know, you're, you're, Every stop, you know, you you never know what you're really gonna get until right. you actually say, "Oh, oh, wow, look at this." What, what would what would you essentially uh, say would be the perfect instructions on when getting pulled over? Not necessarily as a person of color, just as a normal human being. You know, from from my son when he's 18 and you know he gets lit up and has to pull over. I, I don't, I really don't want my son, to, no matter what kind of cop it is, yelling back at him. You know, what what would you say would be you know essentially the the, the best form to present a uh, you know a traffic stop like that, being the driver. Keep it real, okay? Um, out of all the stops that I have made throughout my career, you know, I'm usually like I said, usually when I was when I first got started, I was I was real hyped up, and that's that's what you're gonna deal with the real hyped hyped up cops that are over vigilant, right? All stressed out because you know, okay, I'm doing this stop, and I don't know what you know because they train you right. when, when we're trained, we're trained in the worst case scenario. What's right. what's gonna happen in the worst case scenario? They're gonna grab a gun and they're gonna blast you, right? Or they're right. gonna jump out the car and they're gonna take off running. Right. And so you're you're although you can be ready for that. Right. Um, the onus is on the officer just as much as the citizen to get through the stop. Right. And, and get through it without anybody getting hurt. Right. right. So um, the best thing I could say for a, a young person is, you know, the understand the law. Right. Because not understanding the law is what gets people in trouble. Right. right? If if I if I walk up on the car and ask you to step out of the car, this is not that's not a, a time for argument. Right. It's not. To, I'm probably asking you for a reason. Right. And so or even if it's if you perceive that it's not for a reason, you still have to do it. Right. There's case law that says that I can just order you out as long as the stop is is valid. Right. right. So if I stopped you for not having plates on your car and I ask you to get out, you have to get out. Mm. When you don't, when you don't get out of the car, right? It, right? That's that's kind of sets off a few red flags to us, right? I was like, okay, what's what's this guy hiding, or or, or what's right. going on here, right? And so, wh- how how am I gonna 
how am I going to go about dealing with this now? Now I have a person that's not complying, right? Mm. And then and then things just go downhill from there, as we see on tons and tons of YouTube videos of people getting snatched out of their car. That's scary. Uh, yeah. So honestly, if you don't want to be in that situation, even when the if it, the officer has to give you lawful orders, in the event that the that the order is not lawful, that gives you grounds for a civil rights lawsuit. Yeah. When you start when you start to say, okay, I'll do what you say. Right. And you comply completely. Right. You don't have to talk to me. Right. You have your rights. Right. Um, but comply completely. And then after the fact that take legal action, gotcha. make the complaint. Gotcha. Right. And so for the most part, I'm going to come up and I'm going to talk to you about why I stopped you. Right. And then I'm going to tell you if I'm looking for something else, because cops perform investigative stops as well. Right. right? You know, where I believe that a crime has occurred, is occurring or is about to occur. Right. I'm going to stop you so I can do that investigate. That's an investigative stop. Right. Right. So where I don't necessarily have any probable cause, like if you had a taillight out, that's not probable. That's probable cause for a citation, an infraction. But, wow. you know, when I pull you over for other reasons, right, because I think that you're a dope boy based off of <laughs> some actions that you've done or if I see you in your car and I know you're on parole or probation, it's like, oh, yeah, we're getting ready to check this guy out, right? Really? You know, because working in gangs, right, you, you know what kind of car your, right. your guys drive. You know, what guy, you, you know what they look like, right? And so it's like, oh, I'm going to go check this guy. I haven't seen him in a few, a few <laughs> months, right? Let's see what he's up to, right? And we know that he has full search conditions, so I'm going to search him and, you know, see what's up, see if he's in compliance, right? Where you start running into it is that people say, I know my rights. And then they don't do what, what the officer asks. And when that happens, it's like, for a lot of officers, there's that contempt of cop thing that comes up, right? Yeah. And, and the law grants you the ability to take it there, yeah. right? And so what you see on the internet is cops taking it there because of contempt of cop. For me, I'm always going to, and the way the LAPD trains its officers is, you always have to figure out how you can de-escalate and talk your way out of things that's good and that's why that's policy that's tactics right you, you want to be able to be able to talk your way into whatever you're looking for talk them into the back of your car if you can do that right, right? and 98 percent of the time that's exactly how it goes talking people into your car talking them through the arrest rather than having to use force right, right? because you're now you're now you're putting yourself in danger right you're putting your, i tore my acl back in 2015 using force really right oh yeah yeah, that, that, that ACL tear, the guy that uh, robbed this lady, he just took her, he took, he took something from her um, in a coffee bean. And then by the time the coffee bean cashier puts the call in, he starts walking out. And here we are because we responded code three. And by the time he's walking, I was like, oh, yeah, that guy matches the description. Hey, hey man, stop. And he takes off running. Mm. Get after him. You know, with all your gear on. With all the gear on, right? Get after him. We can, I t try to take him down to the ground, but it turns out he was swole and, you know, uh, swoller and, and bigger than I could, ever could have imagined. I'm like, oh, man, this dude is huge. A prepared criminal. <laughs> exactly, right? <laughs> so I'm, so I'm, I'm taking, trying to get this guy on the ground, and uh, the way my leg had hit the ground, I was actually on the side of my foot, uh, and my knee collapsed inward, and I, I ended up tearing my ACL trying to take this guy into custody. So um, um, it, was, it was crazy. Now, now, when trying to take people into custody, and I know that we talked about like the whole ketamine thing, mm -hmm. and that that being said, it, it makes me want to bring up uh, Elijah McClain. Mm -hmm. um, I have to I have to stop you there because uh, I'm I'm not a hundred percent right as to what happened in that case. Yeah, because there 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 that probably was during a time where I would just stay off Facebook because it starts to wear on your mental. It does right because yeah, because you know that 
there is a full-on indictment of what you do, right. right, and what you how you make a living. You start to pull away from all it, of it. it. It just you know, you know when when reading I guess the, the the outer side of the reports, it's like you know this guy was was given ketamine. It's it, from the video that I saw, it looked like you know the officers did everything but try to de-escalate the situation. Mm-hmm. And, and and again, I could be wrong. You know, the call that was made apparently was was this lady saying that there was just a guy in a hoodie, but that he, he wasn't brandishing a weapon or, you know, didn't have, it seemed, it appeared, well, I mean, you know. That you, shouldn't have been a call anyway. Really? Yeah. Uh, honestly, you, you have to, you, you got to train your radio transmission officers like a, a suspicious person, right? You have to, there's got to be more facts, right, right, for you to send an officer, right? Because right. we already deal with so much crap, Yeah. right? In L.A., we wouldn't we we would get a call of a, a four fifteen man right or di- or disorderly man right that's just sleeping on the sidewalk right we got to go deal with that right right because it's it's technically is a it is a crime but it's a municipal code crime but right. we'll go deal with that if you're talking about somebody who's just walking in the park with a hoodie on at hundred degrees weather then mm. I need a little bit more than that right yeah. It, yeah it's suspicious right because why do you have all that all that all that stuff on and it's right. hundred degrees and you got a sweater and a jacket on. Right. Sure. That's one of the things that we would use to say, let's see what's going on with this guy. Mm. But for you to put in a call. Yeah. Yeah. That's and, and now you're now you're mandating me to go to that area and see what's right. what. I, I think it was just so heartbreaking because, you know, you, you hear the stories, you, you hear this, how, how essentially this this guy who I don't think he was de- developmentally uh, de- delayed or anything. I know he was in, he was a big introvert and just you know, yell, essentially just yelling out, you know, you guys are, you guys have beautiful souls and stuff like that. And at the same time, you know, having to get an RA called in and then ketamine put into a system, going to cardiac arrest and then, you know, die on his way to the hospital be, you know, because of doing so, you know, maybe if these officers wouldn't have stopped this boy, he probably would still be alive and still be playing Absolutely. the violin for, for baby kittens at, at, at animal shelters. And it's, it's, again, it's one of those perfect storms because I, I don't blame you for that. You know, I, I, it's hard for me to even want to blame anyone else for taking someone else's life because that weighs on your soul so much. But at the same time, like, what's going to be done? And, and, and again, you know, going back to, to, to everything that I've read uh, on, on his behalf, like the people in Aurora, Colorado are not, you know, very pro Black Lives Matter because where were they when he was killed? You know, or essentially they believe he was murdered. And again, watching the things, being a father and, and then having these emotions towards these things, it's like, well, what the fuck? When is, when is any of this going to change? I, I don't think we should be pumping people with ketamine, especially in, in an ambulance, for, for X, Y, and Z reasons. Th- those people that, that, that are EMTs aren't anesthesiologists. Uh, mm. they, they don't know how much they should pump into a person. You're only really going to get ketamine uh, if you're, like, frantic. Like, or depressed. If, you, if you're... Uh, or, oh, you're, you're no, no, no. There, there's, there's research studies for depression and ketamine now. Oh, oh, they, oh really? Yeah, okay, yeah. I, I, I didn't know that. But. Shout out to UCLA for, for, for giving everyone horse tranquilizers. Sensational. Uh, <laughs> You know, but uh, as far as uh, what was going on with with him getting pumped full of ketamine and and, and RAs, generally the L.A. Fire Department, you know, when someone is going through agitated delirium, what we like to call is is they're absolutely out of their mind, just foaming at the mouth. And that's when we start to say we need to put this person out. And they're they're not listening. Uh, Like none of the words that they say, none of the string of sentences that they put together make any kind of sense. Right, but they're absolutely, but they're getting ready to get themselves killed by running out into the street, right. car swerving to avoid them. Right, we we have to get that person under control, and, gotcha. and, and if they if their heart rate is up, you're, now you're risking that that person going into you know, cardiac arrest, going into cardiac arrest yeah. because you know they're they're absolutely wigging. Right, so yeah. th- that's when I know the fire department uh, usually likes to use the sedative. You know, and a lot of times we we when we're dealing with those calls, we kind of can see it. Like you know, that's probably 
you know, people that act like that are probably a good 60% of our clientele. Right? And we're, we're talking about LEPD rates because I could, I could only imagine what you guys go through with having to deal with like all the mental health issues with the people out here. Because again, uh, being, being raised here in, in the nineties and two thousands and having to go through skid row time and time again, it's like, it, it only got bigger. Mm-hmm. The amount of people out there only got worse, you know. Many and, of those people aren't from out here, and, and that and that's the thing, you know. We, I, 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 again, I, I moved to Vegas from Los Angeles, and and I feel like we're still dealing with that same problem. With you, would, you would be very there's there's what a, a ten thousand mile tunnel system underneath the city where everyone lives, dude, and, and it's the craziest thing because where I work, there, there's I guess they, they call it the wash, and and it, it kind of looks like the, the L.A. River, and then you just see random people just coming out of tunnels, families almost. You know, and, and, and it's, it, it's, it's very worrisome, but at the same time, I don't feel like police work should involve having to deal with so many mental health issues. Ah, so one of the, one of the key things, and I don't know, we ha- I haven't addressed Black Lives Matter specifically yet. Oh, that, that's, that's, that's the second half of this episode. <laughs> but but I, know that's, I know that's coming, and I, I, I would want to get to it. But as far as uh, when you're dealing with, uh, you, you, before you had mentioned... Black Lives Matter and what they were and weren't doing, right? That was one of my actual critical indictments of them um, because we are seeing all these things and we know that your organization is getting so much money from all these Soros, crazy no, rich yeah. people. Yeah, yeah uh, Soros. I, I was going to say it. I was going to say it, but I'm like, I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist. But <laughs> <laughs> but George Soros and, yeah. and all this all this right. money that you're accumulating, what you could do with that money. Right. And instead, you do it to alarm and try to take basically abolish or you know, completely defund uh, the police department. I don't get that. And, and, and I'm like, okay, well, that's that's a whole, a whole thing in and of itself. But to say that... Um, can you replace police officers when dealing with people with mental illness? Well, can you? <laughs> we, we, in LA County, like right. I said, we've been trying. We have been trying, absolutely. Um, when you're dealing with you know, a lot of these guys who are uh, in and out of the hospitals, they're, they're getting holds put on them week after week after week. I just had to deal with this one lady this last week that fits this criteria. And when you are dealing with that, you're saying somebody who's unarmed should show up, you know, and somebody who doesn't have any, any, uh, any kind of the stuff that we have, right. right, to show up and try to get this person. A lot of times when you try to get them the help, they don't want the help. They want to go on about their own business and do whatever it is they want to do, right? Right. They might be gravely disabled or, or, or a danger to others based off because there was this one guy one time that I had to go. Um, case in point, um, you have this... Uh, Los Angeles Department of Mental Health Workers uh, call LAPD to assist with um, like keep the peace, right? Right. With, with, a, with a person that they're trying to place a hold on, right? Right. We get there and they go, hey guys, um, can you guys uh, take that guy into custody and put him on the gurney for us? Uh, he doesn't want to go with the program, right? And we're like, whoa, 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 whoa. What are you here for? Huh? What, what, are they, what are they there for then at that point? Exactly. It's like, okay, why are you guys after him specifically? What what are the criteria that you're using? Is he a danger? What's he diagnosed with? And, and so at this point, we're going through all the stuff that we would go wow. through in a regular radio call. We have to ask or come up with our own determination. And then at that point, we'll put him on the hold if we really have to. Right. And so 
what are you guys out there for? And that and that there lies the rub. When a person with mental illness threatens these 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 men and women who are in department uh, mental health departments and and all that, when they threaten them with violence, right? And you have to make the decision, right? Your job dictates that we have to get this person the help that they need, right? If that right. person doesn't want that help and they threaten you, you call us and you want us to overpower them, right? To help them, right? And so the idea is. So why are you here? What is the idea that Black Lives Matter LA has been pushing for, for the last year that police shouldn't be involved in these types of calls? When we've been involved in these types of calls for about a decade and you take all the instances where the worst case scenario happens, so you allow that all the other millions of cases where we successfully get these people to the hospitals, right? And, and, and we get the job done the way it's supposed to be and no one gets hurt, you know, Ignore all that just to say, what, what is your real goal then? Right. Your real goal is we don't want police, right? And if you tune in to the L.A. Police Commission meetings, right, and because they're public, they put it on YouTube. Right. You listen to Black Lives Matter speak, calling the chief, you know, a-hole this, or, or I don't know if we're cursing on here, but, you know, uh, uh, if we're calling the chief a-hole this and, and F you sober off to the police, you know, uh, to police commissioners right, right. calling him douchebags and, and being completely disrespectful to the whole police commission, right? Right. And the, and the idea is now we're going to try, we're going to try to see if we can curtail how we're doing things to these people, mm. Right. These people don't want police. They want us defunded downwards of something of 90% of our funds, right? Right. They want gone. 90% right? of your funds? 90%. That, that's what the people's budget entails. And if I'm wrong, somebody can correct me, but that's what, that's what I've been, been hearing from a lot of these activists that go on. They want 90% of police funding to go out to other, other community-related programs. I'm I, right. Okay. And I'm like, okay, community related programs. Tell me about these community related programs. I haven't heard anything about that. Yeah. Oh no, that that's if you jump on um, any uh, Black Lives Matter LA, they have a website that mm -hmm. you can, that you can kind of take a look at the, or you look up uh, the People's Budget. Yeah, look people's up the budget. People's Budget online, right, uh, in Los Angeles, and then all of these organizations that are trying to get LAPD defunded will, will outline everything that they actually want. And to me. Like working working for the LAPD, I'm like, you know, I don't want to be there. Of course, there's a little air of bias there, but I, to me, these people are absolutely out of their minds, right? Yeah. Like that doesn't make any sense at all. You checking your car? Yeah, it's great that I can actually see it. That's why I told you to park there. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. I, awesome. Also, I wanted to ask you if you're a cop and you can't park in red, then why'd you become a cop? Hmm? <laughs> <laughs> well. Well, I'm just playing you know, with you because yeah. as I know, your recruiter had California exempt plates and they parked wherever the hell they wanted. So, well, it depends on if they were in a black and white. No, no, no. no. My recruiter parked in red all the damn time. So, oh, oh wow. <laughs> my army recruiter. Because mm -hmm. yeah, oh, of the government. Police. Yeah. Yeah. So. So uh, uh, again, and, and I think this is this is the, 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 the second part of the episode that I really wanted to, to emphasize your focus on, because, again, a, a lot of the inspiration that I got like to make this podcast was because you had an argument with someone on my Facebook page. Mm -hmm. And, and I, 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 since then I've, I've done a little bit of research behind the black lives matter organization. And I kind of don't necessarily agree with all the things that they wanted to implement. Like the, the, the typical Western prescription of the nuclear uh, family, the nuclear family. Mm -hmm. like when, when Take I read that, I was like, Whoa, whoa, whoa. I just, I have a two year old. 
I have I have a kid. You, you mean to tell me it's okay for him to be raised by, like, I guess a community or a group of people as opposed to, you know, me and his mother together working mm-hmm. our, to, to our, the best of our ability to raise our son whichever way we would want him to. Not, a, not, not by community guidelines because, you know, I, 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 again, idealism start at home. You know, it's, a, it's, it's almost very detrimental to have a, a, a pack mentality. And when, you know, when, when coming across some of these people that really are, are for the movement, what do you mean when you mean when, when you say Black Lives Matter? Because a lot of the times, and, and I've come across, you know, some Karens yelling out all lives matter. But when I say that, do trans lives matter? Do, do gay lives matter? Do the, do, do, do the lives of people with... A little with, bit of hypocrisy. Yeah, yeah exactly. Absolutely. Like, like are, are, you're, you're, you're screaming so much for, for anti-abortion laws, but you laugh at these kids that, you know, that when they cross over the border, they get separated from the parents and then put in cages. And we've been in cages since, what, the Clinton administration? So I'm, I'm starting to see the disconnect with people because now I feel like they've established a platform to pick and choose who they want to matter. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, I'm, uh, I'm having these issues because... Growing up as a minority in Los Angeles and then, I guess, having my own perception on black people because I, I, I didn't have too much contact with them, it, it, it was very, I, I guess, odd, but it never slipped in my mind that my life mattered more than yours. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and because you and I had met wearing a uniform already, you know, it's like, well, he's an equal to me. You know, this, this dude runs as slow as I do. So... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it was pretty bad, pretty <laughs> bad for the both of us, really. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> and um, I, I really wanted to take your take on it as a black man, and and as again someone who who, who wears a badge. Like, are these people really, you know, uh, essentially have have the best in mind for you? And when I see when I when I say these people, please do not take it offensively. I'm talking about the group, not as you know, a race mean, and whole. You mean BLM? Yes, Black Lives no. Matter. You don't feel like they're there. I, I, me and BLM have, uh, we have a bad history together. As a, uh, as a, as a human being or as a cop? As a human being, right? Because my, my thing is, uh, everyone, everyone kind of disagrees with me because of my indictments of the group Black Lives Matter. And, you know, I, because I believe that there shouldn't be a whole lot of excuses for a group that has made that much headway, that much, you were able to get corporations to curtail, to, your needs and what your demands are and then you just head off the deep end right? mm. where you're making such you're making such outlandish changes you know ch- uh, uh, changes in policy that you know th- there's no idea nowhere in the world do you see this being successful right 90 percent uh, of defunding the police for example 90 the people's budget right the people's right? budget right? Abo- people? abolishing police and abolishing prisons how where exactly has that been successful anywhere in the world? As soon as you show me that, that I would like for them to to point me that way, right. so that way I can restorative justice. If you could, if you could kind of educate me, I've looked for the education and I have found nowhere. Everyone has a police, right, right. Uh, or or an authority, right? right? Some places you have. Uh, if we look at what. Uh, Chaz Chop yeah. was supposed to be yeah. right, and we look at what actually what actually happened. Right, people got off. People were getting raped. People were not letting police within their perimeter. And what happened? Keep out. You had roving gangs with a warlord in control take place, in and people Seattle. were getting shot. Seattle, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. <sighs> and so and so, I go. All right. Well, that's what happened there. We all kind of figured that that was would be the case, right? And then even after that, you don't take any lessons from it, right? right? You just say, we still don't want 
police, right? There's only one specific type of thing that police should respond to, and that's somebody in their right mind committing crime. Who would be in the right mind to, like, you know, off four people in a church? You know, no one's in the right mind when exactly. doing that. Exactly, right? And so what, 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 did, what did all those mass shooters have in common? A mental illness, right? Yep. And so you think that, oh, well, cops shouldn't respond to mental illness, but Ooh. in all circumstances or, or in certain circumstances, right? Are you, you know, and, and honestly, my, big, my biggest issue and in indictment of Black Lives Matter is that when I hear them, they don't argue in good faith. All their arguments are bad faith arguments. It's like you take very specific incidents of occurrences all throughout the United States and you make a policy to stop those incidents. And then you start to... You take that and then you reach over and then you have you have uh, state legislatures that are actually actively trying to put forward laws that completely change the dynamics of policing and how you become a police officer right now. Today is the day. Is today Friday or Saturday? Today's Saturday. OK. Oops. Sorry. No, my bad. <laughs> uh, but you can edit that out. But <laughs> on Friday, um, there, there was a supposed to be a vote on a new bill that's supposed to make all police officers in uh, California, uh, I guess you're supposed to reapply for your post certification in 2022. You're supposed to, uh, any, any kind of complaints that you get have to be investigated by a third party, like by somebody else, right? And, you know, and then you have, and you have to, you know, they, want, they want those records to be public, right? Here's the thing about it, right? You want my record, right? Right. The re to go public, right? Because somebody complained that I threw them to the ground and called them a racial slur while booking them, right? Right. Regardless of the what the investigation revealed, my information is now public, and people can just look at that and go, "This is a POS officer, and he's still on the job. He's still out there in the streets doing the job." Right. No way, you know. And it was now, now, but now they can find me. Right. You just got doxxed by your own people. You just got doxxed by my own people. Damn. You know? And so, and that, that, that bill is set to be vote on this week. This week. Mm -hmm. Jeez. I, to a certain extent, and everything that you so just sure said. sure, it sounds good on paper. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Why, why not? Matter of fact, I'll, I'll read it to you right now. You know, on, on paper, it sounds wonderful. Like, all oh, those things make sense. It's just in practicality. I know, I know, right, as a libertarian, that whatever the government sets out to do, when you start to, when the government starts to try to, to change social issues, right, to correct social issues, there's a, a certain power that comes with that, right? Mm. Freedom of speech is one of the first things to go. We saw the censor and cancel culture that, that had really made itself prominent in 2020. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Cancel culture is a real thing. And, it's, you know, you can say that, oh, well, you know, discrimination is, is something that we're trying to, we're trying to stop right. and we're trying to make sure everyone right. is equal in the workplace and all that. We well, already did that. You did that in the 60s, right? So how everything turns out, right, with the enforcement, you got companies getting sued to hell all the, all the time. And, all, you know, that, that right. stuff is happening because you have those laws in effect. Right. But now you're trying to ensure fair outcomes, which is kind of impossible. And the government already is ineffective at what it tries to do. I don't know if you... I don't know if 100%. You, you know, they, they are any anything that the government has really put a whole lot of resources, no matter how much money, trillions of dollars. And and, and, and again, uh, I think with the conversation that we've had, it's like, especially as a black person and a person of color, Latino or whatever it may be, 
know your rights, right? Mm-hmm. And, 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 and I guess know your, your knowledge of self and things sure. like that in these situations. Sure. I, if you've noticed like how, and again, I'm not trying to make it political and I'm not trying to call it anyone, but a lot of the liberalism obviously leans a lot to the left. And in the current state that we're at, like that. <laughs> and in the current state that we're in, it's you have now Kamala Harris as your VP, mm-hmm. you know, top cop, known to keep people in jail, known to essentially, essentially target groups of people. Mm-hmm. But we want you to be able to to use the government's power to enforce the outcome that you're looking for. Exactly. Black Lives Matter is wielding that power right now. That is that that makes you the most powerful advocate for black people in the United States. Right. And you have done nothing in Watts. You've done nothing in Compton. You've done nothing. The only thing that you've actually focused on is these incidences were police accountability. Right. 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 But what have you really done? Have you paid civil rights attorneys? Right. Do civil rights attorneys work for Black Lives Matter? Get it. Do they? Right. No, no, they do not. Right. I've, I've tried to find a civil rights attorney a few months ago, right? Because I believe that um, my girlfriend was arrested wrongfully back in uh, 10 years ago, right? And this is something, you know, and she let it go, right? Oh, right. you know, the case was dropped and they didn't really have enough. They decided not to pursue. Um, and this is what happens to tons of people in the you know, criminal justice system. And that's one of the, I have indictments of the criminal justice system too. Don't, don't let anybody, don't let all the things that I've said today not make you think that, you know, I've, I've got some, some problems to square with, with the way we do things as well. But as far as uh, when you're dealing with when a cop does wrong and there's a little bit of, there, there couldn't have been, based off of what you did, there couldn't have been a good faith right. clause because that's what qualified immunity is. I'm doing what I'm doing and I think that I'm doing what I'm doing for the best, for the best outcome, right. right? I'm doing because this is what I'm supposed to do. This is what I need to do, right? Qualified immunity comes in, right, when, when we figure, okay, you didn't have a, you know, we, we verified that you didn't have any bad intent. This is what you were trying to do. It's a reasonable person would agree with you. Therefore, uh, you shouldn't be held civilly liable for what happened. Mm. That's what qualified immunity is. You can't be sued for acting in good faith. Right? <sighs> and so, the and that's usually what happens. The good faith is debatable from time to time. Depending yes, on it is. And that's what the courts are for. Exactly. Right? But to take it back to civil rights attorneys, right? I couldn't find one. <laughs> So, so, At all. so as an organization, you don't feel like Black Lives Matter makes Black Lives Matter. Absolutely. I wow. should have been able to reach out to the L.A. office, Black Lives Matter L.A., right, and say, do you guys have any civil rights attorneys that can talk to me about this case, wow. right? Or you guys only show up when, some, you know, the most egregious way possible somebody gets killed by police. Right. And even, even you guys are showing up now. For any case where the police shoot somebody, right, right, and me looking at those cases, it's like, oh, that's justified, you know. It right. it, it sucks, but it's justified. And yet, you want to, you know, everybody should be fired. Let's burn this place down, or let's let's hold this. Let's say their names, yeah. right? Yeah. When you're talking about saying the name of somebody who was wielding a knife and got the police called mm. on and was approaching the officer with the knife, like you're you want us to say his name like, right you know because, you know, it, you weren't there what would you have done in that case exactly because you know again be, being someone who was trained with an m4 and stuff like that and rules of engagement and and, mm-hmm. and that then that unfortunately that's the only thing i can take it back to and it's like i hate to say it, maybe if i would have been a cop i think everyone would have been shot because i just i'm sorry i don't well, have that mental processing that's that, big, that that's a big piece yeah ex- and, and not just that but like going back to like the whole post recertification thing it's like 
you do know that there's some police officers that are probably have been your superiors at some point in time where either they're, you know, they're, they're probably too fat to get out of their car. So, you know, the, all that fat's messing with their brain and they, they're having issues processing things or they like to, you know, skim the paperwork or whatever it may be. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm at least somewhat comfortable knowing that there's people like you patrolling the streets. And, and th- th- I mean, th- this is a guy who can take himself away from that, I guess, you know, army mentality and, and not immediately draw a weapon on you. Because from what you said, over what, 5,000 stops, mm-hmm. eight years, you, you've, you've, you've had, you know, what, eight little scratches on your record that have never been able to, to essentially prove you. I've, I've never been punished for it, anything I've ever done. Exactly. So, so it, it's stuff like that. Like you're a black life that matters to me because I, I know essentially one, where you're coming from in all this. And, and I hate to say it, but like, you do know Inglewood's next to be scratched off the list, right? That stadium coming in, gentrifications. Again, what happened, in, and I'm wearing this shirt with pride because this is where I was born and raised. Highland Park is not Highland Park. Lincoln Heights is not Lincoln Heights. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. that you are going to see that, you know. It's, maybe, come, it's coming. I'm living in Compton now. I'm, I'm, and I'm already, uh, well, the, the idea of it is coming. Like a lot of the houses, the house that I bought was bought and sold to me by a real estate investment company. Right. And the houses that are down the street from me are starting to turn. Right. And, the, and my property value is skyrocketing. Right. right. I'm starting to see it. Right. And I found out before I even moved to Compton that Compton is 80 percent Hispanic. What? Yeah. I didn't know. I thought I, it was at I, least 50, I, I 50, 60, 40. No idea. Wow. But Compton belongs to the Latinos now. You, you, did you know Compton was a was a farm ground? Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you were all ranches? You walk by all the, all the ranch hands and you see a, a lot of uh, Hispanic like walking their horses, um, horse ride, walking yeah. the, or riding them down the street. In Compton, Whole families of of Latino horse, families, of, of, yeah, Latino families riding horses down the street. It's a very common thing to see. In like Compton. in my head, I'm like, you know, that that's 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 Ice Cube and Easy Stomping Ground. So that's mm-hmm. that's what I perceive. But like, and then someone put me on game. Like, nah, there, there's mm-hmm. people out there. Like uh, a, a girl, she's she's a, actually a real estate agent in, in Compton, mm-hmm. and she was telling me like, yeah, no, my uh, my neighbor down the street had horses, and I'm like. Why is it that Compton only rings bells to me when, like, you know, rappers are talking about it, but you guys aren't talking about even the beautiful side of it all? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I live on the beautiful side. It's fantastic. I love my city. Exactly. You know, I thought about running for mayor, actually. I, I, you have my, I, you, <laughs> and that's, an, that's also another thing. Did you know that the first black mayor in L.A. was the guy that started Fat Burger? No. <laughs> no. I think well, his name's Tom Brady? Not, not Tom Brady. No, 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 no. Tom Bradley. Tom Bradley? That he was a, Fat, Fat Burger is his franchise. Fat, he started Fat Burger. Oh, that's fascinating. Exactly. So that is. So oh, they, that they, is. They, they they get my vote one hundred and ten percent for being able to feed me at two in the morning with uh, oh, with deep fried egg and bacon and chili on my burger. Amen. Amen. Um, wow. So I mean, with 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 everything that we've really talked about, man. Um, as I said, I have a two year old son. What would you tell a kid growing up in twenty twenty? As just, just anything off the top of your head, As or whatever a, you may feel in your heart. A peace officer, looking at a lot of kids. I deal with a lot of kids, um, especially kids of color. I want to tell you that you should never allow anybody to sell you short. Right? You are capable now more than any generation before you has ever been to accomplish and take humanity to the next level. I want you to understand your power, right? Whether, whether or not a whole, you hear a lot of people telling you that a system isn't made for you or you hear people saying that due to your skin color, you know, you can't do something. You can't believe. The minute that you believe it, you've already lost. 
right? If you want to be a winner in this society, you have to get up. You have to be willing to go through the pain because anything worth having in this life, right? You have to work hard for it. You have to hurt for it. But I promise you this, so long as you surround yourself with the people that also get it, the successful mindset, you will be successful. Perfect, man. I, I, I agree with you. And uh, my mother always said, show me who your friends are and I'll tell you where you're going. And, and I'm, glad, I'm very, very fortunate to have you as my friend, brother. Absolutely, man. I really want to. And, and me, you, you too, bro. I, I really, no, I really want to thank you because, you know, you, you were, you were, you were that big push for me starting this podcast. I've, this has just been a, 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 an idea in my head for the last, you know, two years. And, you know, I have, after having my son and, and witnessing everything that that's gone on and me living in Las Vegas, having the ability to live in a home instead of an apartment and, and watching the place where I grew up essentially all on fire, you know. I, I, I was two when Rodney King happened, and I don't recall anything except for the images. I know there was no talk about police reform. Or I, again, I don't recall. I don't know if there was a talk about police reform, rights, X, Y, and Z. But the way that I still perceive things is that, again, we, we get questioned based off the color of our skin. And me being a Latino, I feel like you have to start even more from behind when you come from an immigrant parent that doesn't know how to speak English and doesn't you know ha can't help you with your homework or anything like that. But... I feel like that's also giving me the ability to try to gain other people's perspectives. Mm. And it's especially from, again, a guy, a guy from Watts that became a soldier that had a reason to become that the same reason I had to, you know, where we're, where we're from, if you don't do something like that, you get eaten up. Absolutely. And I hate to say, dude, me and you are like, we're sweet guys, you know, we're, 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 we don't want any of that. But at the same time, that's just our environment. And we don't want it. I'm pretty sure you didn't want to be a product of it. Mm -hmm. and, and I appreciate, you know, the, the wise words that you have for kids, man, because, again, that, that's the people that no one's looking out for anymore. Oh, absolutely. And, and uh, you know, I, I I'm, thank you for giving me the opportunity to, to speak on that, because honestly, if that's what I'm doing. You know, whenever I have a juvenile that is getting ready to get himself caught up in this system. Right. right. There are plenty of examples that we could see of the system not working for us and do i believe that you know there needs to be a, a a revamping a revitalization right yes absolutely i, I will not argue any other way but there's a way that you kind of have to work towards that and i'm glad that we're trying to work towards it yeah. but they're the way that they're doing it you're not asking the people that are in it mm. right you're looking from the outside in and then trying to change that system based off of, like I said, these outcomes, right? right? And so if I were to say that um, in every instance that, oh, yeah, justice is going to be served here or there, right? We, and the American system is, you know, you are judged by 12, right? You know, but uh, 12 people of your peers. But are those 12 people going oh, to hell. be objective? A lot of times that, that's not the case, nope. right? So you, you have to figure out a better sense of a better form of justice and you have to take yourself out of it when you're the district attorney, the public, the public defender, the, the jury and the judge, right? Cause the judge is the person that says, all right, well, you guys have made your decision. This is what I'm going to sentence you to, right? Mm. If you, if you have a judge that's willing to look at the person as a person, right? Then they might be able to better figure out what's best for this person. Is this, are we going to condemn him to, because that's essentially what you're doing when you when you charge somebody with a felony right. and you put them away for right. for ten years, right? What leg up in any form of capitalism, you know, 
it gives sets things up for a person to be successful afterwards. Um, it's not impossible, but the curve, the learning curve that you have to go through because what what humanity wants in a capitalist system is always continuously changing, exactly. evolving, exactly. right? You ha- to understand human trends, you have to be in it. Yeah. Right? So you in order to figure out what people want, you know, you have to be and in order to give it to people, that's honestly how you find your way in the economy, right? And you take 10 years away from a person to to understand and capitalize on their own uh, skills and talents, right? You're not allowing them to develop them mm. right? in, a, in, a lot of, in a lot of senses. Yeah. You make that person less valuable to the economy. And so the economy rejects you and they put you right back into where you've been for the last 10 and years. It perpetuates. Oh, you, and, and you want to go back to that system because yeah. you don't because you don't have a position. You don't have a you don't have anywhere to be. All my cousins. Right? All my cousins uh, you know. in and out of prison mm-hmm. I, I did, you know, same thing, went right back in. And, you know, it, it's funny because I remember getting like coming out of boot camp and then going home and feeling depressed because mm-hmm. it was like I had I was organized. I had structure. I had X, Y and Z and I was stimulated. And you come back here and what do you do? You try to seek that in what you had previously. But now that you've, again, cleared your mind, become a thousand times stronger, disciplined and motivated you can only do X, Y, and Z at a you know, thousand times worse. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know? And I feel like, again, what we went through as soldiers, they go through in the prison system. And they come back out here. You know, the mentality is what? Put in work, right? Mm-hmm. So, you, you ever read that book, uh, Tribe, by Sebastian Younger? Uh, no. Uh, everything that you just said, he goes into detail about. Um, and he even addresses why, how some people, basically you're being outcasted, why, what, where PTSD actually comes from, right? When you take somebody from an environment where they were in, an integral part to the operation of that system, right? and you put them in another system where no one cares about you, you're not a part of anybody's system, they, they don't see any value in your life. Because honestly, if we, really, if we really are honest with ourselves, right, the people that are most successful have, are the people that are providing value right. to, to other people's lives. But if you haven't found your way to provide value to other people's lives, then you're going to get outcasted. And that's where, and, and where you're by yourself and you're, you're not finding a place to be and, and, and people to help and, and to be a part of. That's where depression and PTSD starts to start uh, start to come in, and people want to go back to the military. People want to get deployed, yeah. right? Same thing for I see. I saw the same correlation with prison people. Yeah. Right. You are when you're in prison, you're a part of a group, right? Usually, usually you have these prison gangs that are that are prevalent. Everyone, they do what humans do, right? Uh, if you're like me, I want you in my group. If you're like me, I want you in that. If you're not like me, I want you in that group, mm. right? And a lot of times, that's that's tribalism. It's a human trait. Intergroup it, bias. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. In group bias is is something that is ingrained in us. A lot of people yeah. call it racism, right? But I call it in group bias. And so, yeah. if you if you want to unite a people of a nation of all these different races, creeds, and, and colors, and all that, you have to give them a, 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 the same values. Right. And they tried to do that. That's that's where the Judeo-Christian value system kind of established America in the first place. Right. And for a while there, people would say that black people were never a part of that system. Yeah, we were. Yeah. Yeah, we were. You know, and and, and, and honestly, if you uh, if you continue to say that, OK, well, the only way that we're going to get it is that the government forces people to allow you into the system mm. and do that. You know, the, the government can't do that. An, no. an authority cannot do that. Right. right. You, it has to come from, like, if you want people to kind of come together, 
you have to make sure that, okay, ensure that equality is, is one of the things that's provided by your system, right? But, but if you also have to ensure that everyone has the same values and if people don't have the same values, it's, it's not going to be, it's not going to work out for you as a nation. And honestly, I see that's what's happening to, to, to America. Today. You know, we're, we're headed down, we're headed downhill because no one shares the same value system Dang. or very, very few people have that's, the same values. That's true. Um, you know. So I, I, and also I really wanted to get, uh, get you to talk about the, uh, the, the, the Cephalon, the, 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 your, essentially your company. So what is it that you do? So uh, Cephalon Tactical Applications is a, is a brainchild that I have. I, I've always wanted to get into business and, and kind of look at, like, okay, how can I be, you know, what can I provide, you know, and, and, and monetize based off of the things that I know and the things that I really love and care about, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like I said, I really got into guns and I really got into, um, you know, shooting maybe about maybe – Five years ago, like halfway through when I, I started to shoot for competition, some guys invited me out and I was like, OK, wow, this is pretty awesome. Right. And so I, I'd like to teach other people how to shoot. Right. And so that, that that's kind of a, something that's been growing throughout the years. Right. But I wanted it to be a little bit more to provide people a little bit more. So yeah. CTA, Cephalon Tactical Applications, was more of, a, you know, OK, well, how can I teach people to be responsible gun owners as well as operating the gun. That's really important. You know, and I, and I would start to go to these radio calls where people were sending rounds through the walls and, you know, thank God that they weren't hitting people, but they did, they don't know what they're doing. Right. Right. There's a lot of, there's a lot of lack of training when it comes to just owning a firearm, right? No one is mandating you to get, to get trained up on that thing. Right. Right. You have to seek it out on your own, but how many people are providing the training, right? That, that are easily accessible. Not a whole lot. So, so do you feel like when owning a gun, do you feel like training would be a mandatory thing? Do I feel like that? I'm, I'm a libertarian, so I, I, I know. <laughs> but, but, but you know, I, so. I, I feel like I'm, I'm a responsible father too. At the same right, time, and right. I feel like, look, if if you have a kid, make sure your gun is stored in a in a right. fail safe place because kids are very crafty, and that's the law. Right. So if somebody were to get hurt, right, that's it's against the law. Right. If, if, the, right. if the child gets a hold of the gun. Right. right. That means you didn't store it properly. Right. Or you didn't you didn't do what you were supposed to do as a gun owner. Right. California has those laws. Right. Right. And yet these accidents are still happening. So my thing is, well, how do you really look at, you know, uh, what could I have done? Right. What did I do to kind of prevent right. a tragedy from happening? Right. A father cl- trying to clean the gun and, and putting around in his son or, that, or that's daughter, a nightmare to me. Right. You know? And, and, and so, or, or the, or the daughter putting around in their parents. Right. Yeah. Or, you know, and which, which is also something that happened. And so, um, I started to think, okay, well maybe I should get into these people's homes and, and I should be one of the people at least trying to fight to get this training out there to help people become more and more responsible. And that's, that's, my main goal is to is to go into people's houses, right? That's my home defense counseling, right? To know what to do if a burglar comes into your house. That's huge. There are laws in each different state that dictates what you're supposed to do if somebody breaks into your house, mm-hmm. right? And then I want you to understand how you're supposed to store it and how you're supposed to respond, right? That's my home defense counseling portion. And the rest of it is uh, I deal with, uh, I do Zoom meetings when it comes to just legal, uh, legal briefs, helping oh. you understand what it is for you to be a lawful gun owner how do you transport it what kind of gun do you want what kind of gun right. is you know what does california say about that gun or and, and basically expanding your knowledge about what they what this california government wants from you as a responsible gun owner mm. and then there's the marksmanship training where you know i, I get you out there that's and, the fun and, stuff and we're gonna we're gonna, yeah the fun stuff that's right the fun where, stuff. where i try to make you make a john wick out of you there you go you know that's that's Trademark. good man 
Uh, well, I, I, again, man, I, I just want to really thank you for having you, you know, again on the show. This, pleasure being here. You know, the, the what was it, uh, C, CT, CTA? Mm-hmm. I, I think that's, that's a very integral part. Um, I, I'm, your, your perspective to me is everything, brother, because, again, I, 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 you're a homegrown person to me. You're, you're my friend, you know, and, and, you know, wearing the same uniform and str- having the same struggles that, that we did as, as young men, being from the same city, you know, being, I, again, two completely different cultures, but you get to see, you know, the, the quality in people, you know, and, and, and I'm very fortunate to have you, you know, sit down with us and, and you know, be actually the, the, the inaugural guest because, again, man, what, what you had said to me and what you had posted, it, it really touched me to the point where I needed to get this out on any platform. I, get, I, I, I don't have a thousand followers. I'm not very big, but you, no one's talking about this, mm-hmm. you know. And, 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 again, I know I'm half Korean and half Mexican, but black, Asian, and brown sitting at the table talking about our real problems and the problems that our children would have, that's what's going to change the future. Oh, yeah. So and thank and you. honestly, there, there's, it, it's so, this wasn't an all-encompassing conversation that we had. So no. I'd, I'd be willing to come back and, and expound on it a little bit more. If You're going to get a part two and a part three. Absolutely. Sure. Oh, that's fantastic. I love that. Because <laughs> you know, we, we didn't even get into the whole uh, coon talk. Oh, no, 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 no. Mm-hmm. But you know what? Let's, let's schedule a Zoom call for that. And for sure, for I, sure. I, I really, I actually really want to get you to talk about that because as a Latino and as an Asian, I get that too. Mm-hmm. So, oh, Nancy. But group think. Exactly. So, everyone, thank you. Uh, thank you for you know, listening to this podcast. Rest in peace to Chadwick Boseman. Uh, you can follow my friend Matthew at Mr. Mateo Jones. On, on Instagram. And uh, you can actually follow Cephalon Tactical, my company, at Cephalon Tactical, no spaces on Instagram. There you go. All right. Thank you, everybody. Episode one's in the books. Fantastic.